Hello, welcome to this week's episode of Knowing God with Heart and Mind. Once again, we're in our virtual church classroom experiencing a podcast brought to you by Shiloh United Methodist Church in Jasper, Indiana, and hosted by me, Dan Sinkhorn, and my beautiful daughter, Bethany. Each week, we're studying the Bible together, trying to better grasp the heart and mind of our God, our Creator, our loving Lord, and to engage our hearts and mind with God's. That's the goal in a nutshell. It is something we do in addition to our participation in the life of a local church, and it is our hope that you would do the same. Don't let this be the only thing you do. Please be a part of a local church, even if it takes you a little while to find the right one. There is a fellowship with your name on it. There's a place where God wants you to be and people with whom God wants you to journey on the way of sanctification and hope and joy. And this week we worship God and love God and serve and love each other with prayer, beginning with the reading from Psalm 8. We're going to read Psalm 8 right now. This is a psalm for the director of music according to the Gittith, the Gittith, a psalm of David. It's another one of those musical terms that we don't really understand that is part of David's songbook or psalm book. So here we go. Psalm 8. Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. You have set your glory in the heavens. Through the praise of children and infants, you have established a stronghold against your enemies to silence the foe and the avenger. When I consider your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars which you have set in place, what is mankind that you are mindful of them, human beings that you care for them? You have made them a little lower than the angels and crowned them with glory and honor. You made them rulers over the works of your hands. You put everything under their feet, all flocks and herds and animals of the wild, the birds of the sky and the fish in the sea, all that swim the paths of the seas. Lord our God, how majestic is your name in all the earth. is 
consider your heavens and the work of your fingers, we are overwhelmed, Lord. We're blown away. We look at you in everything that you have created and see your love and your majestic genius. We honor you and we glorify you, Lord, in our study today. We seek to know the heart and mind of the great, majestic creator of all that is, the one who is the lover of our souls, who has done all that the creator, the God of all the universe, could do for lowly sinners such as us. Oh God, we come in that mind to offer ourselves as a human and holy sacrifice. That is, we give ourselves over to your care, putting our needs and our worries second to your desire and your will for our lives. Oh God, help us to be strong in our bodies and our hearts and minds as we seek to serve you. Those who are sick, we pray that you would restore so they can glorify you. Those who are suffering in mind and spirit, help them to be restored so they can glorify you. Oh God, those who are seeking help with financial troubles that seem overwhelming, those who seek help with their jobs, their families, their relationships of every kind, we pray with them that you would restore them so that they can give glory to you. We pray that in the community called the church, the body of Christ, our Lord, that we might give glory to you in our region and in our nation and in our world, that we would not bring dishonor to your name, but to bring glory to your name and to draw others to join us in celebrating your majesty. This we pray together for your name's sake and in this precious name of our Savior Jesus. By the power of the Holy Spirit, amen. And now live and in person in the GHM studio, Josie and Irma, <laughs> the eschatologists, the eschatologists. Who are having a bit of a disagreement about eschatology even as I speak. And even more live and in the studio today, Bethany Sinkhorn. That's right, friends. <laughs> She's in the studio today. She's not peering at me through my computer screen. She's in the house. I am. I'm so excited. And before we go any further, Bethany has some news about that that she wants to share with you. I, my news is that I am officially moving to Jasper, Jasper area um, within the month. Um, so by the 31st, I, well, really by June 1st, I will be a Jasper resident, at least for the summer, um, as I transition into my new position and my new housing. And so I will be in studio a lot. Yeah, like at least, all the time. At, at least. least for a month or so, she's going to be living in the studio. <laughs> I'll be living in the studio. Yep. <laughs> since since the GHM studio is in a room right next to the basement space that she has <laughs> laid claim to I call during her, her transition, so <laughs> we're excited. Yep. I hope you can hear the excitement in my voice. I'm looking forward to it. It's fun having Bethany on her own very special microphone right here in the house and. 
And if if the eschatologists don't get along a little better, we may have to turn them loose mid-broadcast. I think, I think they here. might get kicked out in a minute because yeah. they're being brats. <laughs> yeah, you know, Irma's three years old, Josie's one year old, and uh, if you know anything about cats, you know how that goes. They uh, the one-year-old wears out the three-year-old, and when the three-year-old loses her patience, hissing starts, thumping with the paw starts, and occasionally a good hearty growl. <laughs> but that's not what you tuned in for today. You are here to join us in our study of the book of Revelation. We are still in the second chapter of Revelation. We're on the second letter to the churches, remembering that the churches are both literal churches that are real. They existed in that day. They are in places that were filled with people and beliefs and governments of different shapes and sizes for years. And some of those places are still populated today, but it is also a metaphor. It is also a message Jesus gives to these kinds of churches and these kinds of Christians. And so we can learn a lot by reading these letters from Jesus and considering them for ourselves as well as their implications to the people in that day. Bethany is our expert researcher on the backstories of these churches. And uh, so what we'll do first before we read the passage in today's reading, which is chapter 2, starting at verse 18, and it is the church at Thyatira, Thyatira, Thyatira. You could probably pronounce it a half a dozen different ways, but I think it's probably Thyatira. And uh, so what do we know about Thyatira? So Thyatira is an inland city. Um, it's like 42 miles inland, so we keep moving further and further away from the coast. Um, and it was located on the Lycus River, um, and maybe a couple other rivers too. Uh, sounds like it was pretty surrounded by water. Um, so pretty strategic too, and I think I mentioned several weeks ago that it um, it's an interesting city to me because it's it was originally established as a fort or a garrison, um, which makes sense if it's surrounded by rivers, it's convenient easy to defend. Um, it was a relatively small commercial city uh, by comparison to some of the others that we've talked about, like Ephesus was quite large in terms of its trade and commercial center. Uh, and this one was small, but it was a center for the dye industry. Um, and actually, Thyatira is mentioned earlier in the Bible as the home of a woman named Lydia. Mm -hmm. uh, Lydia is mentioned in Acts chapter 16 and she is a dye merchant. Um, I think specifically it says like purple cloth or indigo or something along those lines. And this Lydia was a really awesome Lydia. Like but, a totally awesome Lydia. But every time I hear the name Lydia, I'm sorry, but you know how much I love old movies, old radio, old things. And all I can think of when I hear Lydia is Groucho March, Groucho Marx <laughs> singing, Oh, Lydia, oh, Lydia, oh, have you seen Lydia? But, Lydia the tattooed lady. But that Lydia sounds pretty awesome, too. Yeah. So yeah. it's fine. Um, but yeah, this Lydia was really awesome because she was a dye merchant, um, which is cool just on its own because women 
in that particular time and space weren't typically artisans. They weren't typically leading jobs, but she was clearly in charge of this business. But she was really awesome because when she um, met Paul, she got so excited about Jesus and Christianity that she like went back home and converted her whole family to Christianity and is thought to probably be one of the founding members of this church that's being written to in Thyatira. So I think that's awesome. So Thyatira is pretty well anchored yeah. in the church. Yeah. Um, but So Thyatira was the center for dye, the dye industry. Um, it also established lots of um, like artisanal guilds and trade guilds um, that, again, had a lot of women in it, which is pretty awesome. So were there... Do you think they had men with uh, close cropped hair and uh, uh, around their ears and their hair combed back big time over the top of their head and long beards down to their chests and what like hipsters? Yeah, and and tattoos and rolled up sleeves and I think Thyatira might have been kind of a hipster place. It, it does sound like the village. Lots of craft guilds, you know, yeah, like. <laughs> yeah. You could probably find a hundred different kinds of coffee or beer there. Probably, yeah, probably. You know, yeah. Yeah. Uh, well, the modern city is called Akirsar, Akisar, something along those lines. Uh-huh. Um, and it is, like, internationally known for being the place for Turkish tobacco, so that's kind of hipster sounding. Uh-huh. Um, now, I don't smoke cigarettes, but from what I understand, there's no stronger cigarette in the world than a Turkish mm-hmm. cigarette. Yeah, so this is the the place where that happens now. Like, that's the modern I like Turkish thing. coffee. Uh, no. Which is also really <laughs> strong. Yeah. <laughs> you know, and you, you always drink it carefully because when you get to the mud at the bottom, stop. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So um, I saw a pretty cool picture. The, the only archaeological remains of the ancient city of Thyatira are in, like, a little city square that like it's a little square of glass with a bunch of grass with a bunch of columns broken columns laying in it and all around is this modern city it's very mm-hmm. it's bizarre looking and it's very small i don't know that there's a whole lot of excavation going on or anything um so there's not much left of thyatira mm. um, it kind of it sounds like i'm doing the the comic color commentary here but i'm really doing what i always do which is contextualizing yeah yeah and i like to watch uh occasionally i'll watch these videos on youtube about the graves of well my heroes like groucho Mm -hmm. marx and people i'm just curious how where they ended up and Mm -hmm. so and what's really remarkable is that is in la and hollywood these cemeteries are often exactly like that there's this little plot in the middle of a busy city Mm -hmm. Because at the time, these people were famous. The city wasn't as big as that. Yeah. And, and so the city's grown up around their plots. And so sometimes to visit the graves of the stars, you have to go to a place that is about the size of a city block mm-hmm. that's surrounded by tall buildings yeah. and busy traffic and all that. And so it kind of makes me think of that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. So um, probably the thing I find most interesting about... Thyatira, especially once we start getting into the letter, you'll it'll make more sense. But um, I mentioned Lydia, who's like fantastic, wonderful woman. Uh, there's a lot of connections to interesting and powerful women 
and not always good women, but powerful women mm-hmm. in this city. Um, the city Thyatira was named after the daughter of a, I believe, one of the kings of Pergamum, which we talked about last week. Um, in 290 BC, she was born, and the city's name was changed from Semiramis, who's another woman to talk about, to Thyatira to name her after this man's, this king's daughter. So it's named after a princess. Um, its former name was Semiramis, Semiramis, um, and she is kind of a legend. Um, she was the wife of a king of Assyria, but also there's references to her being a wife of a certain king of Babylon that we are familiar with, Nimrod. Mm-hmm. Um, Nimrod is the guy that built the tower of Babylon, the Tower of Babel. Um, but, so she was either the king, the wife of the king of Assyria, which would have been a pretty high-ranking king at the time, um, or the king of Babylon, again, pretty high-ranking. Um, and she ended up ruling, I guess, whenever they were gone. Uh, and she gets lots and lots of mentions in literature throughout the, the years. Um, she's referenced in Dante's Divine Comedy in the Inferno. Um, as being in the second circle of hell, which is where the lustful people are. Um, and she also gets mentions, Shakespeare mentions her in one of his comedies, um, and is, it's not a favorable mention, but um, she gets mentioned in lots of literature. Um, and, and she also is maybe the one of the points where goddess worship began. Because people, this, she's legendary. People saw her as some kind of fantastical being. Um, and so that's where a lot of goddess worship came from. Supposedly Venus, the goddess Venus, Aphrodite, um, got Venus. some of her, yeah, got Venus. some of her roots from Semiramis. Um, there was also a woman named Sambeth who was called the Persian Sibyl. Um, and Sybil, for those who do not know, Sybil was an oracle in the Greek tradition who, um, an oracle or a prophetess, mm-hmm. um, that lots of people went to. She's mentioned <clears throat> in lots of the Greek, uh, epic stories, um, as like you go to her and you get, you know, you get the guidance you need for your quest. Um, so Sam Beth was located in Thyatira and she was like the Persian version of that. She was the... Um, Persian version. The Persian version of a prophetess. Um, So there's just these layers upon layers of um, high-powered women, maybe not always um, doing the most awesome things because these are high-powered women who are potentially leading people very much astray. Um, Well, you know, I, I touched on it, I think, a little bit last week, but... It's a very dangerous thing for me to talk about publicly because it's just an idea that's starting to spark in my mind and therefore it shouldn't be viewed as anything, you know, like a character trait on me. It's just me wrestling with ideas. It's it's the same critical thinking that I taught you all through your raising um, that do your critical thinking. And in my critical thinking process, one of the things that I find intriguing is is that we're living in an era like no other in American history where women are really, really celebrated. Mm-hmm. 
in all door well in every way except classic motherhood and what white what 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 some women would view as subservient you know in other words the proverbs 39 women the ones who support their husbands and and run a good household and raise great children they're not so celebrated and they're not so revered but then we've got superheroes that are we just saw the the avengers movie last night and there's some incredible women in there and so my personal character feeling about it is is yay for women i'm all for it i i love the idea of of uh, women being empowered and celebrated um i but i also love womanhood and i think it's important that we understand that god made us different for a reason and there is never a time when one species or one race or one sex or gender would oppress another and it's not offensive to god god mm -hmm. hates oppression it's all over the bible god hates oppression mm -hmm. He didn't like it when the Egyptians oppressed his people in Israel. He didn't like it when the Pharisees and the Sadducees oppressed the people with their religion. You know, God doesn't like oppression. So in every way, I celebrate women being empowered, celebrated for all of their vast capabilities. But I hate to see it come at the expense of some of the most powerful and amazing women who ever lived because they were great moms and wonderful wives. Uh, not women who submitted themselves to something, but who willingly chose those roles and were super women in their own right. Mm -hmm. You know, and so my question about this cult of feminism is, is that what is part of the story at Thyatira? And is it sort of becoming a subculture within our culture right now? Um, because it sort of sounds like we're doing the same thing that, you know, you've got Lydia, who is a celebrated, wonderful woman of God, but then you've also got Jezebel. Well, and I think that that's what I would say is, yeah, there might be some women in Thyatira Thyatira who maybe reflect what you're talking about with some of these women who are the extreme end of feminism. Yeah. But then you also have Lydia, who I would say is very much a feminist, because not only is she a woman after God who brings her whole family on board, and I'm guessing whole family means her children, her husband, yeah. her whole family, yeah. but she's also running a trade. I mean, she she's working a trade, and so I would say... If you read Proverbs 39, she she's sounds that, like she's that, that woman. woman. Yeah. And, so, and I think that I would just say, and we've talked about it before, there are definitely those extreme feminists... And there are definitely those women that I wish maybe were a little more feminist because there are women out there who are right. oppressed. But I think there's also a, a kind of silent majority that is in between there that's saying, "Yeah, I'm empowered. I'm, you know, I'm, I'm gonna be able to do all these things." But they are celebrating the empowerment that comes from motherhood and some of yeah. those other things. Yeah. So I think you see both kinds of women in Thyatira. Well, it feels like a good time to read the scripture. So. Uh, I'll read it since it's right in front of me here, and, and I have to do this funny thing mm -hmm. where I raise my glasses. <laughs> I can't see the screen in the top part of my glasses. I can't read. So here we go. Chapter 2 of Revelation, starting at verse 18. To the angel of the church at Thyatira write, These are the words of the Son of God, whose eyes are like blazing fire, 
whose feet are like burnished bronze. I know your deeds, your love and faith, your service and perseverance, and that you are now doing more than you did at first. Nevertheless, I have this against you. You tolerate that woman Jezebel, who calls herself a prophet. By her teaching, she misleads my servants into sexual immorality and the eating of food sacrificed to idols. I have given her time to repent of her immorality, but she is unwilling. So I will cast her on a bed of suffering, and I will make those who commit adultery with her suffer intensely, unless they repent of their ways. I will strike her children dead. Then all the churches will know that I am he who searches hearts and minds, and I will repay each of you according to your deeds. Now I say to the rest of you in Thyatira, to you who do not hold to her teaching and have not learned Satan's so-called deep secrets, I will not impose any other burden on you, except to hold on to what you have until I come. To the one who is victorious and does my will to the end, I will give authority over the nations. That one will rule them with an iron scepter and will dash them to pieces like pottery. Just as I have received authority from my Father, I will also give that one the morning star. Whoever has ears, let them hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Well, there we are. And uh, what a beautiful letter. Um, first thing that strikes me is, is how, how literarily speaking, mm -hmm. it's just beautifully crafted. And uh, so, you know, he says, these are the words of the Son of God. Now, I, I find it interesting that there's a sort of juxtaposition here. In the opening paragraph, he says, to the, these are the words of the Son of God, whose eyes are like blazing fire, whose feet are like burnished bronze. And then he basically closes by saying, I will give authority to, to uh, command the morning star, the bright morning star. That is a description of Satan, mm -hmm. Lucifer. Mm -hmm. He was the bright morning star who fell from grace, shot out of heaven like a rocket to the earth. It's, it's like he's opening with a clear statement of his absolute authority, and he's saying that Satan is not so powerful that he can't hand off the responsibility for controlling him to one of his children or one of his adopted siblings, you right. know? I mean, he, he's like, I don't even have to worry with him. I can send one of my kids or one of my brothers or sisters, you know? I, I love that. He's, you know, uh, there's an interesting thing I heard uh, a few weeks ago that's really stuck with me, and I may have mentioned it already, but... It's the comment that when Jesus hears the proclamation by Peter um, at uh, Caesarea Philippi, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. Peter says, and you are the rock of the church, and the church, uh, the church will be such that the gates of hell will not be able to stand against it. And, and I never really thought about what he's saying there until I heard it from a good commentator who pointed out that he didn't say... The church will stand against the onslaught of hell. What he said was is that hell wouldn't be able to stand up to the onslaught of the church, mm -hmm. meaning that we're supposed to be on the offensive mm -hmm. and that the gates of hell aren't going to be able to resist us. Yeah. And here he's saying, 
I'll give you, if, if you follow my will and you put your faith in me and live according to my purpose and my precepts and with my authority and the Holy Spirit and all that, I'm going to give you enough power to you, you be able to tell the great morning star where to go mm-hmm. and how to get there. You know? It's pretty cool. Yeah, it is. It's, it's cool. Um, so, so he says, you guys, your love, your faith, your service, your perseverance... You know, I wonder, and I again, uh, this is this is just me taking it line by line, word by word. Lydia sounds like a really awesome person, but she also kind of reminds me of a lot of church people who do great works, and they do it with a great spirit of love. But sometimes they're so busy, sort of like a Mary and Martha, Martha thing, yeah, right. And and so it almost sounds like, and I, I'm not picking on Lydia. I don't have any knowledge of her beyond what you've just shared with us. But but I just wonder if part of Lydia's problem is is that she's so busy uh, running. You know, it, I mean, I literally picture this Thyatira. I could just picture. Well, okay, so I've taken you to a little town in Oklahoma that I graduated from high school in. Mm-hmm. And when I graduated from high school, it was a little town. In the last 35 years, it has exploded. This town has gotten huge. Mm-hmm. And the road that used to have Brahma bulls wandering in the prairie grass outside the property of my high school is now covered with churches. Mm-hmm. And I've literally referred to it as Church Vegas Strip. Mm-hmm. Because as you drive down 86th Street, you see one church after another. Yeah. And they all have a bigger sign than the other one. They all have a bigger facade than the other one. And I have no doubt that great good works and gospel preaching occur in many of those places. But sometimes I wonder if Thyatira and places like that little town in Oklahoma don't have certain things in common like people are so busy doing church that they forget to be the church mm-hmm. you know and and i wonder if lydia is like that if she's this you know she's grown her business it's what they used to call the protestant work ethic about a hundred years mm-hmm. ago she's grown her business she's contributing lots of money to the church she she is uh, she's maybe a little bit like uh, that woman in uh, the blind side movie played by Sandra Bullock. She's yeah. she's a little like that woman. You know, very productive, very very, you know, uh, on top of everything and 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 then her friends ask her, you know, why are you doing this? And she has to say, "Well, <laughs> I am doing this because I love him, right?" You know, I, I think it's wonderful. So Lydia and the woman from uh, the Blind Side, there may be a lot of similarities there. And I, and I think if that woman ever heard this, I would say, no, no, I'm not picking on you. I'm talking about an image of you that describes the the dichotomy that exists in every Christian's life. Mm-hmm. Is, is sometimes we get so busy serving the Lord, we forget to have a relationship with the Lord. Mm-hmm. And that's always a danger that people have. And, and the danger in the case of Thyatira that I seem to see here is they're so busy doing the Lord's work that they don't notice Satan is creeping in yeah. all around them. And mm-hmm. and Satan is setting up shop right next door. Mm-hmm. 
And, uh, and, and, you know, there will be people who would take that and say, yeah, I mean, there's a meth house right across the street from, from the church or whatever, but I'm not even talking, I'm not talking like that. Cause see, there's certain kinds of evil that even, even, uh, unchristian, unchurched people recognize as evil. I'm talking about the creepy kind that mm -hmm. looks like religion. It looks like a parachurch ministry or something like that. Mm-hmm. That's what I suspect is going on here is, is um, you know, Jezebel was mentioned here and obviously she's dead and gone. In fact, she came to a horrible end. Oh, yeah. Um, you know, and yet she's mentioned here by Jesus. And I, I think in, in a couple of respects, first of all, Jesus is living outside of time and space. So he sort of looks at it all as one big thing. But the other thing I think is interesting is, is that he's talking about a particular kind of person. Jezebel's the daughter of, of uh, Eth Baal. There are certain triggers, especially in the book of Revelation, that you want to always recognize. If Babylon is mentioned, if Baal is mentioned, we're talking about Satan mm -hmm. and the things of Satan. Mm -hmm. um, even Sidon and uh, uh, Tyre. Tyre and Sidon mm -hmm. in the Bible, houses of Satan, mm -hmm. you know, so you, you got to learn to recognize that whenever those are being mentioned, especially in Revelation, that, that we're talking about Satan. And uh, what does Jezebel do? Um, she's, she's, uh, she's not that different from Lydia, except that her motives are different. She and Lydia are both doing the same thing. They're working really hard. And they're both trying to get uh, something that they consider really important done. Yeah. And they're bringing their man along with them in the process. Jezebel, on the other hand, has no problem lying, cheating, stealing, and pretty much running over innocent people who stand in the way of what she wants. Oh, yeah. And so uh, this can happen right in the church, right under the noses of the pastor and the members of the church. And it can look like a good thing. Mm-hmm. And it can happen right in front of the whole congregation, and they don't see that that's what's going on. There's this Jezebel thing. It's not exclusively about women. Let's just say that up front. Well, because Jezebel was married to Ahab, who was the worst. Yeah, Ahab was an idiot. He and was so awful. He was so corrupt in his own way. And, uh, you know, it's funny that, that those kinds of people are attracted to each other and they can put their heads in. You know, your mom and I, we early in our marriage, we started working on projects together to, you know, home improvements and things like that. And we found that we grew closer and more in love with each other when we were fixing things and working on things and solving problems together. Eventually, when you guys are coming along and we're doing all the thing of childbirth and parenting and eventually the children with spina bifida come along and, and in every time that we found ourselves challenged with something we worked hard together on, we grew closer. Mm -hmm. And I think it's kind of ironic because it happens even to people who are married and they have evil motives. <laughs> You know, they have ungodly motives, and, and it's like, they're never having... It kind of reminds me of the king and queen and Chitty Chitty Bang Bang. <laughs> have you ever thought about that? Oh, my gosh. The king and queen in Chitty Chitty Bang Bang are an awful lot like Jezebel and yes, Ahab, aren't they? that's great. You're my little chuchy face. <laughs> and then the next thing you know, old chuchy face is, you know, face down on the pavement, and the dogs are having at her. 
So Ahab and Jezebel, here we go. And, and now Jesus brings them up in the association with this community. And what could he be meaning by that? You know, what's he saying that if, if, uh, if people keep following her as, uh, I, I love what he says about the so-called deep secrets, mm-hmm. you know, um, I think that's very interesting. Um, Jesus says that, that you commit adultery with her. Mm-hmm. Um, he speaks specifically of sexual immorality. And, and in biblical terms, especially in the Revelation, um, at the risk of offending people, I got to say, that's basically any kind of sexual relationship outside of a one uh, of marriage between one man and one woman. I, I'm not trying to condemn anybody here. I'm simply saying that as the Bible is written and as it is understood by those who will read it as it is written, the understanding is anything apart from a one man, one woman relationship is considered sexual immorality. Yeah. Doesn't mean God doesn't love people who have had sexual immorality in their life it doesn't mean that god doesn't love people and that we shouldn't love people who have uh you know different ideas about all of that but the reality of the bible is is that states pretty plainly that that is sexual immorality but there's all kinds of sin and so we're not exclusively separating people with that particular issue and saying that one's worse than all the others the fact is is that there are dozens of ways every one of us displease God and live down to some of the this is what I have against you moments in the letters to the seven churches Mm -hmm. so one of the things that he has against people in the seven churches well six because one gets a great report card but is one of those things happens to be sexual immorality now the adultery though this is not just about sexual immorality Otherwise, he wouldn't have to say adultery also. If he was talking about sexual immorality, he'd have covered it. But he says, and adultery. And what he's talking about is unfaithfulness to that which you have committed yourself. Mm -hmm. And that is where Jesus is getting a little bit honked off, so to speak, with like the Jezebel people and the seekers of you know, deeper secrets, Uh, you know, they are the ones who are looking for a way to have it in both worlds, so to speak, to have their foot on both sides of the line. They, you know, and, and uh, that's a really good setup because I think the next church on our list is Laodicea. Mm. Uh, No, Sardis. Sardis. Whoops. Sardis. Laodicea, a lot of... Laodicea, I think, is the last one. I hate to say it, but Laodicea is the one that a lot of half-cocked Christians like to use to say, I'm a redneck and I'm proud of it, or I'm a liberal and I'm proud of it, and they like to say, because you shouldn't be like Laodicea. Well, usually they haven't done their homework or they wouldn't make such a silly statement. Mm -hmm. That's pretty opinionated on my part, but what I want people to do is critical thinking. And what I'm doing with this in critical thinking is recognizing that Jesus is pointing out a kind of liberality of thinking that is not unlike adultery. And it doesn't mean that when I use the word liberality, I just mean in, in not in a political sense, but just that, that, you know, sometimes there are absolute truths. Mm-hmm. And Jesus is the absolute truth. Um, 
So it kind of makes you wonder what's going on at Thyatira that's got Jesus honked off. But he hints at it because he says, I'm the son of God. And then he says, and you, just by my authority, can take out the bright morning star. So it sounds like the adultery is people who are trying to make some sort of purchase on the notion that there is more than one son of God. Well, can can I throw in something? Well, I hope you do. Okay. That's why you're here. I know. Because um, I didn't mention it when I was talking about kind of the, the history of the city. They were the hub, one of the hubs for the cult of Apollo. And for those who don't know, Apollo is the sun god mm-hmm. and the son of Zeus, who's like the god in Greek and Roman mythology. So I think it's really fun and interesting and very purposeful that Jesus introduces himself as the son of God and then goes even like a step further and is talking about how his eyes are like fire and his feet are like burnished bronze. Hmm, sounds kind of like a sun God, you know, like he's, yeah. he's definitely like throwing down the gauntlet, so to speak and saying like, Mm-mm, Nope, it's me. Yeah. And I think that that's really awesome. And yeah. And I think like, Talking about Jezebel being a prophet, a prophetess too, I think is interesting because of like that Sam Beth lady. Greek and Roman sacrifices looked very different than like Jewish and Christian sacrifice. And he even says that like you're eating food sacrificed to idols and, and that would be Greek and Roman sacrifice. You know, like mm-hmm. they... So, I, yeah, that's my little add-in there. No, I it's, think that's really a, a wonderful insight. In fact, um, it kind of makes me think that he's he could just as easily, or at least like the people in Thyatira could have heard um, that statement as, so if I want to, I can authorize any of my people to take out Apollo. He's not really any Right. He's not a big deal. Well, and I think, like, I think that goes with what you were saying before, too, because, like, he's he's coming in and and saying, like, you know, I've seen all these things you've been doing. You guys have been working really hard. You've been doing good deeds in my name, and you've been faithful and all this stuff, but you're tolerating evil. Like, you're letting, and, and, and that, I think, is definitely something that we can all be accused of. Well, because, like, if they're sitting there and, they, you know, like, there's here's their church and around the block is a temple to Apollo. And they're saying, well, we don't really approve of that, but we can't really do anything to stop that. So we're just going to go about our business and save who we can save. We do that. Sure. We do that all the time. We say, well, like, yeah, that sucks that they're, that they're, ta- they're telling these lies and doing all this stuff, but... You know, as long as they're not hurting our people and we can take care of our people over here. I oh, Well, here's, here's something that popped into my head while you were saying all that. And it's pretty much along the same lines. Um, I could see it happening in Thyatira. I see it happening now. How many times have you heard a Christian person, a church attender, say, like talking about the Muslims or something and say, well, we're all worshiping the same God. Mm-hmm. Not really. Mm-hmm. Not really. Um, 
ask a person who honors Allah and worships Allah and really get to know their concept of God and then really get to know your concept of God, your biblical Christian concept of God. It is fair to say that we and Jews worship the same God, but it is not the same as the God of the Muslims or the Hindus or the, the Buddhists or, uh, you know, metaphysical church or whatever. I mean, you know, there are lots of different interpretations of God that we're going to be starting a series on the Holy Spirit to, on Sunday. And uh, that one of the things I say in the message is, 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 you know, we're not talking about the force from Star Wars, you know. We're not talking about Awa from uh, uh, the uh, Pandora from the, the uh, Avatar movie, you know. There are no doubt uh, expressions of God through the Holy Spirit that are beyond our ability to comprehend and describe. Mm -hmm. But we're not talking about a force. We're talking about God. And, and a Muslim who's really steeped in their faith will tell you that they don't believe in our God because we believe in a three-headed God or in a some kind of weird you know they think the trinity is an abomination you know so so don't assume that we all worship the same god because the really sure muslim doesn't believe we worship the same god and my point is is that sometimes and i can almost picture lydia you know doing the bake sale at church or whatever to raise money for the orphans and somebody gets into an argument with her about, or not an argument but starts lecturing her about how we need to be friendlier to the you know uh, apollo worshipers up the road or whatever and and she says oh whatever we're all worshiping the same god now, i'm not picking on lydia i'm just giving you this mm -hmm. image and and that would be kind of the same way as jesus said whoa whoa time out not really I am the son of God. Mm -hmm. You're talking about somebody who has more in common with that bright morning star. Well, I think, I think my view of it is a little more like, like how often do you hear someone say, well, they're not hurting anything, you know, like, yeah. yeah. <laughs> and, and that may be true, but, but I don't know that that is necessarily true. And I think he's definitely calling him out and saying, no, this is hurting someone. Yeah. This is bad. Um, yeah, see, you know, we're living in a world right now in our country where we have to be tolerant of everything except Christianity and except traditional families and stuff like that. And I'm not wanting to sound like, you know, some of these conservative commentators, but it does seem apparent that the only thing that you're allowed to criticize openly is traditional families and Christianity. Um, but the interesting thing is, is that uh, there is a point at which tolerance becomes hazardous for your health. Mm -hmm. And I, I have people that, you know, lobby me to be less tolerant about certain things as a pastor and they want me to, to, to take extreme points of view or take extreme action. And, and my answer to them is, is I can't, say that I disagree with you, but I may have a different sense of timing than you do. And so we have to be patient with each other and understand that there is a limit to what we can tolerate. And Jesus is making that clear. And 
we have to have the courage when the time comes to say, no, this isn't okay. But that only means for me and those who believe as I believe. Many of the letters written to the churches in the epistles by Peter and Paul and James and John, they're written to the church. And I find that a lot of condemnation comes from within the church today for people outside the church. Mm -hmm. And it's basically like saying, uh, I'm American. Everything should be done in the world the way Americans do it. So I'm going to go over to Iraq, Iran, China, South Korea, whatever, and I'm going to tell those people that we do things the American way. You should do everything the American way. And mm -hmm. those people are going, but we're not Americans. Mm -hmm. Now, we really got to feel the same way about Christianity. Before we can expect people to do right according to the Bible, first we have to help them discover the Bible and decide to trust the God of the Bible and believe the Bible. Mm -hmm. Once they've given them lives, once they've given their lives to God and they follow Jesus as a disciple, then reading his book makes sense and doing what it says makes sense. There's an awful lot of people that disagree with the Bible who have never really read it. Mm -hmm. And so what they really disagree with is what Christians who haven't read the Bible like spouting off about it. Mm -hmm. And then there are those of us who've read the Bible who tell me, who occasionally tell people things they just don't want to hear. And yet it's not our place to condemn them because if they haven't come into a relationship with God and they haven't accepted the Bible as the, as the authoritative word of God, then I can't condemn them because they're not playing by the same rules I play by. Um, but I can say, not for me. Mm -hmm. I can't do that. Well, you use the word tolerance, and I think that like tolerance literally means that you're tolerating people. There's, there's an element of condemnation there, mm -hmm. and it's condescending, really. It is. It's super condescending to tolerate someone. Yeah. Um, I I have fussed at kids for using that word, because when I think about things, I think, well, no, I'm not going to tolerate someone. I may not approve of something someone is doing or saying. But I can still show them kindness. And I think Christians have to be merciful and kind, right. not tolerating people. Absolutely. Jesus says we it's should very love different. everybody. Right. Love it's your enemy. Acceptance of people as they are doesn't mean it doesn't mean you approve of the things that they're doing that aren't appropriate. But when you you're right, when you tolerate someone, it's condescending, it's condemning, it's not a healthy thing. So I think as Christians we have to make sure that like these people in Thyatira they don't have to approve of what is happening and they definitely are being told you need to be doing something about that. But Jesus also says, I've seen your love and faith. Mm -hmm. You need to be doing these good deeds. You need to be persevering and loving because that's what you're good at. And hmm. I think that's really important. That's a great place to wrap it up. You really <laughs> nailed it there. Um, I love that. Uh, I really do because this is really the essence of the message of Jesus. Um, this last couple of weeks have been very busy and have been a lot of things that I've had to do that have reminded me that uh, of a truth. It's, it's one of those absolute truths that I will never waver on. And the truth is that the secret to living the Christian life is humility. Mm -hmm. In a word, you, you know, we can read the Bible, study all of its nuances together for the rest of our lives. But if you want to know how to honor God with your life, it's through humility. Mm -hmm. It's through the image of Jesus taking off his outer garment and washing the dirt off of people's feet. And humility means that you don't care as much about what you get out of a thing. It means you put the ego and the self 
in the back seat and you put God and the things God cares about in the front. You let the love of God ooze out of every pore of your body. Mm -hmm. And so the life that is sanctified and perfected in love over the, and that's very Wesleyan, I'm, I'm happy to say that, um, it means that, that we would be imperfect, that we would have perfect love in our hearts, that we would have emptied ourselves of pride and ego to the extent that love is what governs our actions. And that's a really great goal, and that's something a person can spend the rest of their life trying to emulate. Yep. And that's really what he's saying, I think, as you just pointed out. Thyatira, you're at your best when you love. Mm-hmm. That's a good word. I'm glad to have you in the studio. <laughs> Only a couple of more online interviews or, more, or yeah. sharings, and then it's going to be in the studio all the time. That's right. I will forewarn you, listener, that, I mean, if you've noticed if this is coming out about a day later than it has in the past, um, as Bethany becomes part of our lives every day in our home, I probably will change the recording date according to our schedules. Um, and that means that this may show up in your uh, inbox or your podcast uh, uh, device uh, a day or two later than it has in the past. But once we get it nailed down, there will be a certain regularity to it again. But that's not going to happen again until June, I'd say. But for now, just be aware that that uh, they may not hit uh, at 9 o'clock on Friday morning <laughs> as they have for several months now. But uh, thank you, Bethany. Tell everybody bye. Bye. I love you, See you, you at darling. church on tomorrow. <laughs> Yay. <laughs> well, that's another great conversation with Bethany, and it's so much fun having her here in the GHM studio with me here. The eschatologists left us a long time ago. They got bored with the conversation. And uh, so now it's just me, and I want to say thanks again for listening. That's uh, pretty much all we have for this week's episode. I hope it's been a blessing to you. I hope you'll join us in the conversation on our Facebook group, Knowing God with Heart and Mind. You can find that by dialing up uh, uh, the Jasper, uh, excuse me, Shiloh United Methodist Church, Jasper, Indiana, uh, Facebook page. You can just search for it. But the easiest way is just click the link that's in the description box right below this podcast. If you're in Jasper this weekend, we'd love to see you at worship. We'd love to have you join us. You can find out more about Shiloh United Methodist Church by visiting shilohum.org. That's S H I L O H U M. Dot org, and uh, we'd be glad to uh, reach out to you through that and give you any information we can. Write us an email, uh, visit us on the Facebook page, come and talk to us face-to-face. -face. It would be a real pleasure. But for now, God bless you, and goodbye. <laughs>